in November of 2002, I was invited to a ministry, a new ministry. It was in Flint. It was this huge hotel that was a Christian ministry, and they asked me to come over and work at this hotel to run this uh, hotel. And I wasn't sure I could do that. And so I asked them if they would allow me to go over there on my day off every Monday for a month and interview the people that were there and try to get the lay of the land. And so I did that. When I, was, when I got there, I was on the elevator and, a, and an elderly gentleman who I later came to know was Pastor James uh, DeVault. He got in the elevator and he introduced himself to me and he said to me, what are you, you going to be doing here? And I said, I didn't want to presume on the future. I didn't want to say too much. So try to kind of fly under the radar. I said, well, I'm really not sure. I'm just going to come over and help out a bit. But every time Pastor James DeVault saw me, he said, now, what will you be doing here? What's your role? Are you going to be directing? Are you going to be the new general manager? What will your role be here? Pastor DeVault was a pretty smart man. He understood there's a principle that we're going to show you today. Peter brings it up in the letter today. That's, a, that's one of the ways of God, how God works. Pastor DeVault understood that. He understood the whole universe, the scriptures teach the whole universe is governed in, in, in this way, that God is the ultimate authority and he delegates authority to others. So when you're new somewhere, you probably want to ask the question, oh, so who's in charge here? Or if you like were a Martian and you land on the planet, you might say, take me to your leader. Exactly. Take me to your leader. Who's your, if you were smart, you would say, so who's in charge here? What's your role going to be? Pastor DeVault was a smart guy. He lived there rent-free. Pastor DeVault had uh, his own apartment. Um, he was treated properly. Uh, he ate with us. He took his meals with us. He, 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 did, we, he, he lived there at no cost, and, and he took his meals uh, with us at no cost. And if he couldn't get to the dining room, some of our young people would bring the meal to him. As a matter of fact, sometimes Lois would go to his favorite catfish place up on the north side of Flint, which is a pretty humorous experience right there, and bring the catfish dinner to Pastor DeVault. Remember that? And, and so he was a wonderful man, an interesting guy, but he understood this principle that it, it, he wanted to know who's in charge here, who's in authority here. And he knew that that was really important. And... Uh, so, so listen to how Peter says, we just read this, but just to read the first section again, I want to show you something here. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Peter now is writing about the emperor, writing about probably the person that would be responsible for his crucifixion later. He says, to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You want to ask the question, who's in charge? It's an important thing in life. It's one of the ways of God. If you understand the Bible, this is something that you understand. If you want to understand how life works, this is something you want to understand. Who is in authority? Peter reminds the suffering Christians here that are pressured, and they're pressured primarily by their civil government, 
that this is a principle that they need to understand in order to suffer faithfully, and in order to finish well. Nero's persecution would intensify. Historians say that Nero wanted to have a new city structure, and so he allowed the city to be burned and blamed the Christians. He scapegoated the Christians, and then the Christians at that time went through fiery trials. They were actually severely persecuted because they were scapegoated for this that Nero did. You have to understand, we're wringing our hands about our loss of political influence. We wring our hands about our loss of political influence, but we forget this. The New Testament church flourished without any political power, without any political clout, without any political influence. They didn't even get a vote in it. When the empire sets fire to Rome, he blames the Christians. The Christians are scapegoated. These are some of the people. That, that would be under persecutions at this time. Now, before we study this, and it's going to be a powerful thing to study, and it ends with a very beautiful, really, description of, of Jesus, so it's a beautiful, poetic, worthwhile thing. Maybe it'd be helpful for us to review a bit. Can we do that? Let's go over what Peter's told us so far about how to suffer faithfully, how to obey the Lord, do what he wants us to do, and, and still be faithful and obedient to him at the same time. Because this is probably something we're going to have to have some experience. Our children, our grandchildren may have to have direct, firsthand experience in this. Let's review. First chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You're exiles. You're rejected by men. But you're elect. You're, you're, you're selected by God. You're, you're, you're accepted by God. This is the first thing he says to them. Yes, you're rejected by men, but you are accepted by God. You are elect exiles. You're exiles, but you're elect. And then in chapter 1, and verses 3 through 12, he kind of goes over their blessings. He said, you're burdened, but you're blessed. And he lists powerful blessings there in verses 3 through 12. Then he says something surprising, and then it's going to get more and more surprising as you go along. He keeps saying things that are more and more counterintuitive and can't be true unless there's a God. And he says, even while you're being unfairly and unjustly persecuted, you have no excuse to sin. I'm calling you to live a holy life. And so in that, in that section, in chapter 1, verses 13 through 25, he says you still can live a holy life. So think of how encouraging that is. You're rejected by men, but you're accepted by God. You're burdened with, with profound suffering, but your blessings are, do you remember this? They're, they're going to last longer than your burdens, and they're going to weigh more than your burdens. They're going to be more valuable, more enduring than your burdens. And then he says... You can live a holy life, even though you don't feel like you can because things are so ugly and things are turning bad. You can, you can live a holy life, even when things get hard. They did it, we can do it. And then he says, These are, this is the way you should see yourself. This was last week's message now. I'm going to review. This is the way you should see yourself when you're facing suffering or injustice. And, and there is a great cry about injustice in our culture right now, and, and rightfully so. This is always concerns the heart of God, and it should concern us when others go through, face injustice. And of course, we can't ignore it when we face injustice or somebody that we love faces injustice. He says to us, last week's message was, how should we see ourselves when we're under the crucible of injustice? He said, you should see yourself like a baby that has an appetite for God's word, like a newborn baby. That's what he said. He said, you should see yourself like the temple of the living God. The place where God displays his glory. He uses the temple language. 
He says you, can, you should see yourself like a pilgrim. This isn't your final home. You're, you're passing through. We do come back to earth. But for now, this earth, the way it is, the way it's run right now, this isn't the, the we're, we're, we're through hikers. We're pilgrims. We're trekking through. We, we're, we're, not, we're not remodeling the Motel 6. We're all going to be here for a night, right? You, you remember that. And then he says, see yourselves then as pilgrims. And so today, we're not home yet, and we need to understand that, that though God is the sovereign ruler over everything, in his providence he has allowed wicked men, ungodly men and women to rule the earth right now. And we live under that. We live in an unjust world. He's actually going to talk about slavery and tell people how to be good slaves. That's just shocking language. So Peter gives in this text seven reasons to obey those in authority. I'm going to give you those today, seven reasons to obey those in authority. I'll show you them in the text, really kind of in three chunks, if you will. Seven reasons to obey those who are in authority. To understand, like Pastor James DeVault did, that there are authorities over you, and you want to be, Peter's word is, be subject to them. But realize that this is how God works, and we'll show you this, seven reasons to obey those who are in authority. Number one, obedience to delegated authorities is obedience to God. So the way, you know, we, if, if God were to walk up to you and you survived the encounter, and he would say, are you going to do what I say? You would say, yes, I mean, you're God. But that's not how it usually works. Does it work that way in your life? Usually he delegates someone else to tell you what he wants you to do. That same job that I interviewed for, I said, I'm not qualified. The head of the ministry said, I think you are. I said, I don't think so. I, I'm not sure I'd be run, good at running a big hotel, all the finances and accommodation taxes and all the stuff that, employment things. He says, can you take direction? And I said, I'm married. <laughs> no, I didn't. That, that was a cheap shot, wasn't it? No, I, he said, can you take direction? I said, yes, yeah, I, I can. He says, listen, you listen to people here and you call me and I'll tell you what to do. His, his thing was, you're qualified, you're willing to obey. Obedience to delegated authorities is, is, is obedience to God. Let me give you a little theology of obedience. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of read this so that I don't ex, 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 uh, eat up too much time. Um, and this is found on the notes that are online if it's helpful to you. This is important because God governs his universe through his authority, through his sovereign authority that's delegated to imperfect and sometimes unsympathetic and sometimes even wicked people. The importance of obedience to God-given authority it was disobedience of Adam that plunged the human race into condemnation. It was, we started in disobedience. And it was the obedience of the Lord Jesus who redeemed us back. Listen, Romans 5, 19. As by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Philippians 2, 8 says, being found in appearance as man, Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. King of the universe in the Godhead chooses to obey the Father and go to die. Roman, or Hebrews 5, 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus, shockingly, obeyed, was obedient. Obedience is essential to holy living. Listen, Romans 6, 16, don't, don't you know that to who you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, 
whether it's sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness, a big key to a successful and fruitful and blessed Christian life is learning obedience. It's the way it's described in Romans. Many rich promises of the Bible depend on obedience. Isaiah 119 says, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. Our obedience encourages others. I'm reading now from 2 Corinthians 7, 15, the ESV is, his affection for you is greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. It's like the Christian biography thing. We read about people who obeyed God and it inspires us. Our obedience is inspiring to people. Obedience is important in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. We're commanded to train our minds to bring every thought captive in order to be obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We bring into, into, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, object of obedience. Uh, obedience is so important that it's sometimes used as a synonym for saving faith. Like in Acts 6, a great number of, you, of them were obedient to the faith. It means they got saved. Uh, Romans 15, 8, to make the Gentiles obedient, meaning Gentiles are going to get saved. Obedience is sometimes a placeholder for you're saved. You're obedient to God. Obedience to authority should characterize all who are under authority. Listen, there, there, are, there, are, uh, there are spheres of authority, if you will. You notice that, that Peter says, Be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. As if God looks over human institutions and covenants and, and he recognizes their validity... And he says, when you, you know, covenant to be in that group, you're, you're under that, that authority. And this is true in family. The scriptures throughout talk about the authority in the home with husbands and, and parents having authority. It, it, look, listen to Deuteronomy. I disobeyed my dad when I was young um, a couple times. And uh, he sent me in my room and, he, and, he, and he, he took my Bible and he came up there in my little garret room and he said, Kenny... You need to learn not to be a rebellious son. I was pretty small. I really didn't think I was rebellious, but it was hard to obey sometimes. He said, you need to learn not to be, my dad was really grave, a serious thing. He said, I want you to write out this passage. I forget, it was like 500 times or something. No, maybe it was 10, I don't know, but it was like a lot. Here's the passage, I'll read it, I'll read this edifying passage to you. It's from Deuteronomy in chapter 21. This is from reading from the law of God. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he won't listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate at the place where he lives, say to the elders of the city, this, our son, is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city will stone him with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear in fear. Now, if you're scandalized by that, it tells me more about you than God. That's God's word. He thinks rebellion is really bad. Do you? My dad had me write that out. He didn't do any gospel instruction until I'd written it out over and over again. Then he sat down real tenderly with me and he described about Jesus on the cross and his taking my sin upon himself and every bit of my rebellion on himself. And that's why I don't get stoned. He's good theology and probably really bad psychology. But anyway, 
No, he's a good dad. Thank, I'm thankful that he, he taught me. It's a serious thing. You don't rebel against your dad, your mom. You obey. Uh, there's a family authority that the, the Bible's pretty plain about. It says it in a number of different places. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more next week. Government leaders are, have authority. Romans 13.1, all, all authorities given by God in Titus 3.1 is this passage. He thinks church leaders, elders, other believers have authority, you know, over one another. My, my path to understanding the church eldership or that a church should be primarily governed by a plurality of elders was in this way. I studied the Bible and I recognized that there were benefits that came to me, blessings that came to me if I would find my God-appointed authorities and eagerly get under them. And as I studied that, I saw it everywhere in the Bible. I read this book by Watchman Nee, very fascinating book on, on spiritual authority. It's very helpful. It's just full of scripture. And everywhere in the Bible you see this, the importance of finding whose authority you're supposed to be under and getting under their authority. Ultimately, in order to be under the authority of God, right? But I remember thinking, well, what's the authority in a church? Is this, is this senior pastor, leader guy, is he the authority in the church? Are the deacons the authority in the church? Is the congregation the authority of the church? Are the elders? Is the board? Who's in authority? Whose authority do I get under? Because I want God's blessing on my life. Those who are under authority get wisdom from God. Those who are, the Bible promises that. Those who are under authority get protection from God. The Bible promises that. Those who are under authority get direction from God and through God. And those who are under authority get provision from God. These are benefits that come to people who obey God, who live in their lives are characterized by obedience to God. But God doesn't come and give you his verbal word usually. He delegates somebody else in those authority structures. And when we get in, we're obedient to those that are in authority. So I'm like, who's in authority in the church? I went to people and I said, what do you think? And the, the wisest of them said, I think what you ought to do is, there's a book about that. And I'm like, okay. And you're laughing, Eddie, you know where this is going, don't you? And I'm like, okay. Like, where do I get it? And he goes, I think you probably have it already. It's the New Testament. I'm like, oh, I know that. But I mean, like, who's written well on this? He goes, no, seriously, read the Bible. And then, because I'm a slow learner, I, I go, I, I know, but like, do you know anybody who's like done, you know, a paper on that, did a study on that? He goes, I, I just read the Bible. And actually, we were starting a church, and I got together with a number of other guys, and we got, to, we got up every... Thursday morning, five o'clock, we all met together, studied the Bible. What does the Bible say? Over and over again, the scriptures talk about appointing elders in every city and those who rule, etc. gives authority to elders, primary authority in the church to the plurality of elders, a group of godly elders. I said, okay, I want to, so we were starting a church. We, we figured out a way to discover who the elders were and we appointed a plurality of elders, and I eagerly got under their authority. I hope that if you would walk up to any one of the elders in our church right now and say, is Pastor Pierpont under the authority of the elders, they would quickly say, yes, he is. Never a question. We don't go to elders meetings to tell the elders what to do. We go to elders meetings to find out what's the mind of the Lord for us. Uh, go with ideas every once in a while you understand right of course but that was a, that was a, a rich thing for me I, I used to drive the amish when i was starting a church to make a little bit of money i drove some amish folk and they were wonderful people 
I really loved it. And they loved the Lord. These, this particular group, evangelical, they really knew the Lord. They loved the Lord. They obviously had some legalistic baggage, right, on their life. I, I get that. But they, they, were, they were heading the right direction. They were really sweet guys. I loved to drive those guys. And, uh, and all you had to do was say, you know, who preached Sunday? And the, the guy would say, well, Pete preached Sunday. And I'm like, what did he say? And then we would just be off to the races having a great conversation about the things of the Lord. But the one guy, he was different. And when he was with the other guys, he was quiet. But when he's alone, he was critical. He's always critical. It was really interesting because he said, what do you think about church services being in high German? I'm like, well, what do you think I think? Do you think I do church in high German? Why would you ask me a question like that? Why would you, like, why do you think that guy was asking me that? Because he was against them having church in high German. And he figured I agreed, which, of course, I did because... I wouldn't understand church in high German. And, and so he was always complaining about, well, the bishop, you know, our kids don't even understand it. Here's the point. I realized his argument was right. Church should be in an understandable language. His spirit was not right. He was a rebel at heart. He really was. He was always kind of complaining against the bishops, like playing against the leadership there. I thought to myself, he's not, he's not going to do well. His family's not going to do well. Not because he's wrong about church not being in high German, but because he has a spirit of resistance to authority in his, his life. And it was true. I had a lady in the church one time, and her son decided he was going to, not this church, he was going to marry a girl that wasn't a believer. A day of this girl, maybe marry this girl who wasn't a believer. So she came unglued about it. And she came to me, and she was just like beside herself. We've got to do something. We're going to lose him, and he's going to marry this girl who's not a Christian, and, and I need you to help me. I want you to have a talk with him. I want you to tell him. Tell him he needs to be under authority and obey his parents, which was kind of humorous to me because that lady had never placed herself under the church authorities, ever. She just was a gossip, and she was not... not it, I'm, I'll just be nice. And it, she... She wasn't under authority, but she wanted me to talk her son into being under authority. And the irony is I did, and he obeyed, and God's blessing was on his life. It really was, and is to this day. But she didn't obey. She wasn't eager to find out God's leadership for her at all. Obedience to authority should characterize all who are under authority, and, and we should realize that God has established authorities and obedience ensures a special level of intimacy with God. Jesus said, you, those of you who obey me, I call you my friends. This is in, in John 15, 14 and 15. Daniel, in the Bible, he understood this. And he goes to Babylon, which is a, a very hostile environment, an ungodly environment. And instead of just immediately disobeying the, the directives that he had, he came up with creative alternatives so that he could both obey God and still be under godly authority. He came, I came up with a, a creative appeal. This is an interesting day because we live in a time that's characterized by a spirit of rebellion. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I won't have people over me. I'm my own boss. There's a spirit of rebellion. And it's a, in the whole culture. And so it's an, it's an exciting day to be alive for a Christian because it'd be so unusual for a person to trust God that they could obey God's delegated authorities in their life and trust God that things would go well for them. 
This is interesting. Who, where are the Daniels today? Where are the young men and the young women who say, I will trust God, and I will, I'm going to be old school. I'm going to honor my dad and mom. I'm going to obey them. I, I'm going to find out who the authority, I'm going to eagerly find out who the authorities are in my life so I can get direction and protection and provision and wisdom from them. I'm not going to rebel against my authority because I know that I would be putting myself into a place of risk. Who are, where are the Daniels, you know, today? I imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, had a spirit of, of trust in God. Imagine. Bible, the Bible says this about uh, Israel's king Saul when Saul disobeyed God's instructions. You, you ever read this? Rebellion is, is like the sin of witchcraft. That's pretty serious. So the governor, do you remember the governor giving us orders during COVID? Remember that? Any of you? Governor Gretchen Whitmer, you remember her, right? Remember that? On TV? Anybody remember that? You? Yeah. Sure. Um, she came on, and we were all holding our breath because it's like the governor in Kentucky said, no church tomorrow. And I've been to Kentucky, and there are a lot of churches in Kentucky, and, and people that probably don't take kindly to telling them they can't go to church. Governor came on and said, don't go to church tomorrow because this weekend because it'd be dangerous, you know? Our governor didn't do that. Our governor gave, you know, all kinds of warnings about this deadly disease and what she believed and thought, what other people thought and what experts thought. You, were, you saw it all. I did too. And we kind of sat on the edge of our chair like, is she going to tell us we can't meet? Is she going to say there's, a, there's, a, there's executive order that churches cannot meet? And, this is the, and they didn't do that in Michigan. We, uh, as a group of leaders think, how can we best navigate, make a good decision about our meetings during this time? And we had meetings with the elders, and we prayed, and we listened to one another, and we sought the mind of the Lord about how we can operate in a way that's pleasing to God, obey what God says, because we always are going to obey what God says, God helping us no matter what it costs. But we also want to be creative and recognize that there's a public health epidemic, and, and we want to be good citizens. We want to show good faith. This is actually kind of the first I've talked publicly about it. So we ended up, I thought to myself, Daniel had a creative appeal where he obeyed, but he still, he obeyed the dictates, but he still was able to obey his God. And I believe that God honors us when we want to be under authority, whether we agree with authorities or if we see, we think of them as sympathetic or not, but we want to be under their authority and show honor and respect to authorities like this scripture commands us to do even when they're suffering how can i be under authority but still do what god says and we came up with the idea creative idea of being on the roof and, and we went out on the roof and then sometimes the people not from the church so much but others would say i they would come and they would say i love what you're doing you're not going to listen to the government you went out there and you had church anyway and i'm like that's not what happened that's not what we were doing at all there wasn't a shred of rebellion in what we were doing. All we were doing is obeying God and trying to creatively obey God in such a way that unbelievers would see that we are also people under authority. This is so clear in the Bible. But here's what happens. When pressure comes, even a little teeny weeny bit of pressure, even a little minor pressure, we find out who really believes the Bible then. Uh, oh, we find out who, who really is willing to obey passages like this, which actually list, isn't it interesting? It actually lists emperor and it lists governor. It's actually in there, the word governor. It's interesting, isn't it? 
It's just interesting. So I'm still in my first point. Don't worry. Don't worry. And a young man came to our drive-in. He's a great guy, a young attorney friend of mine. And he came and, and he was a little, you know, gung-ho. And he said, man, I love what you're doing. You're not, you know, gonna, you're not gonna not meet just because of what they're saying at the state house. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's all we're doing. I said, we're just trying to obey God and, and keep everybody safe and do what's wise. That's all we're doing. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a tent on my property. I'm going to have church on my tent. Will you come up and preach? And I said, well, I, I'd like to do that. I said, but what, where, what's your, where's your church home? And he told me. And I said, what does your pastor think about that? He goes, well, I don't think he'd be for it. And I'm like, well, you should be under your pastor's direction. He's one of your God-appointed authorities in your life. I said, why don't you give him a call and just say to him, I, I was thinking about putting a tent on my property. I got a friend I'd like to invite to, to preach, and would you be okay with that? And he goes, oh, I don't think he'd be okay. I go, well, I I'm not going to be involved then. But if you call him and you get permission, I'll come up. And he, he called me a few days later. He goes, hey, my pastor was all for it. Come on up. And I did. And he pitched a tent. We had wonderful services up there. And we, and, but they weren't rebellion at all. There was not a shred of rebellion in that. It was all just, okay, here's another creative way we can obey God in the open air and do it in a safe way that will be pleasing to God and pleasing uh, to our authorities as much as possible. This is the attitude that Peter says you should have when the pressure from the government comes on you. It's amazing. I just got to tell you, a lot of Christians I watched during this whole thing that just happened, I'm like, were you reading this? Were you reading your Bible? Or were you just doing what, were you just, are you just a little rascal? You little, am, 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 are you a rebel at heart? Are you, are you, are, are you, did you misread this? Are you, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I suppose you're the good people. But this is the principle of the scripture that's really plain. This direct authority, this delegated authority. Every once in a while my, I have an older sister who's always been smaller than me. Well, always been, almost always been smaller than me. Because she couldn't always been smaller, right? But you, get, you think about that this afternoon, you'll understand that little humor there. But f for the most part, she's been smaller than me most of her life. And every once in a while, my parents would give her directions for me. They would say, tell Kenny to do this, you know. And it was just so much easier when my dad said to me, Kenny, you know, mow the lawn. Or, well, he didn't say it like that. He's nice, you know. But then if he said to Melanie, Melanie, tell Kenny to move a lot of Melanie with, you know, she was a good sister. She didn't irritate me or anything. But, but you know, when your little sister or your older sister that's smaller than you says, Dad wants you to mow the lawn, you're like, mm -hmm. it's just harder to mow then. But what Peter is saying is this. Suffering is going to come. And don't forget that my great authority and the universe is delegated to common people, some of whom are unjust. And this is an opportunity now for you to be a testimony and be like Jesus. This is literally what the text is saying. And so there's that principle. Uh, we could go on. But let me go to the second one. So the, the first one, and I'm going to move super fast on the rest, but I, that, that one I wanted to establish this from the scriptures. Obedience to delegated authorities is obedience to God. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should be, you should, that doing good meaning being subject to, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, uh, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How do you get those ignorant, foolish people to be quiet? You obey God. 
you get under delegated authority. You have a spirit of authority to those who are a spirit of submission and obedience to those who are authority over you. Isn't that interesting? If you're a kid, this might be new to you. You're like, man, my dad is just like, he's always telling me what to do. Now, dads, please be careful. Don't exasperate your children. Please give them incremental release. Don't lord it over the people that you're trying to lead men, you know, not to do this. But, but ladies, young ladies, young men, this is a great secret of life, a principle of life that's true. You ask God, what do you want me to do? God says, ask your dad. He's going to tell you what, what is wise. Ask your mom. She's going to tell you what's wise. That's interesting. That's what the Bible's teaching this. Okay. And so, and so obedience to delegated authority is, is obedience to God. Second, obedience is God's will. Obedience is God's will. How do we know that? Well, listen to this um, in the text. Um, verse 15, for this is the will of God. Young people are like, how do I know God's will? Oh, it's, it's in the Bible. Like, obey your mother and dad. That's God's will for your life. It's amazing. It's just like the guy who wanted to hire me, and he said, look, I'll give you a cell phone, and you get, you get your questions, and you get the information, and then you call me, and I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> Lois, did I not do that? That's exactly what I did. I'd go around the building. I'd talk to people. I'd listen to them. I'd try to figure things out. Then I would call the boss. I would say, what do you want me to do? After a while, you know, I got some experience, and I had some ideas, and then I'd call and say, here's what I think, and he go, that's good. This is a great secret for young people, and that is this idea of being under authority sounds bad, right? It doesn't, like, oh, no, it sounds bad. It doesn't say, oh, I want to be my own. I want to I play as much video games as I want to. I don't want my mom telling me when I got to stop playing video games. But maybe you will graduate from college. And please play video games because we're going to need people that know how to do stuff like that because that's how you build things now. But anyway, do all of that. Tell your mother I said. Anyway, this is what the scriptures say. Obedience is God's will. If you want to know what God's will is, obedience is God's will. Obedience silences the criticism of foolish, ignorant people, as I just read in that section. Number three. Number four, obedience is a way to freedom. You think, oh, no, I don't want to obey people that are over me. I won't have my freedom. That, but the Bible is a shocking, counterintuitive teaching. It says that this is how live as people, this is 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, which is our tendency, right? But living as servants of God. And it's a play on words. He's going to directly address servants, slaves, in a minute. But he's saying, obey those who are over you. That will be your path to what? That sounds like a path to slavery to me. But the Bible says it's your path to freedom. It, you, it, was it Bob Dylan? I'm not like a Bob Dylan expert, but didn't Bob Dylan have a song like we're all going to obey somebody or something like that? Oh, well, I'm not a good Bob Dylan guy. I'll have to go to town on that. But it was like, but we do, we're all going to have, we're going to obey, but if we decide that we're going to obey those that God hasn't put under our authority, that we're going to find, you know, our, our heroes or our leaders, people that, hasn't, that God hasn't delegated in authority over us, that doesn't end well. And so obedience is this. Number one, obedience is to delegated authorities is, is obedience to God. Obedience is God's will. Three, obedience silences the criticism of foolish and ignorant people. Obedience is the way to freedom. Number five, obedience is a powerful way to deal with injustice, ironically. I want you to notice the, the presence of these words about justice here. Servants be subject to your masters in the section where he now addresses servants. This is like 
New Testament century slaves, not chattel slavery, not man stealing. The scriptures forbid that. The Bible is not endorsing slavery here. The Bible is a raw, real book that speaks to people where they really are. In the first century, like many physicians were slaves, most physicians were slaves. There was, this, there was a function of slavery. It wasn't race-based. It doesn't make it good, but it wasn't race-based. It was more injustice-based, and it wasn't chattel slavery. So it wasn't similar to the slavery that we, we understand in America. There's a blight on our American conscience. But he's saying, in the Bible's consistent how it deals with this. It, it addresses people where they are, not ideally where it would be nice for them to be. They were, many of them, servants, slaves. He said, be subject to your masters with all respect. Can you imagine? Not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. And, and it's interesting what's going to come up here. For, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And, and again, there's the justice word again, right? What credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it? There's a grievance for the union right there. It's like, they beat me today. This is, they were seriously, this is serious. I, I mean, if I'm beaten or a loved one is beaten, it gets really serious then. I'm going, God, that is not right. That is not right. Person should not have to be beaten. Are you listening to me, God? God says, You trust me. That's a shocking thing. That's a minute. Obedience is a powerful way to deal with injustice. Obedience is something God sees and rewards. What, verse 20, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God sees, and we can trust him to ultimately bring justice. And then God sees and rewards. Now look at the last section. This one, it gets so beautiful. We may even talk about this a bit next week as well because it's so beautiful and, and rich. For Verse 21, for to, to, to this you have been called. Then he's going to bring Christ into this. And this is the pinnacle of this. This you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Doesn't it just sound sweet to say, I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus? It just sounds sweet, doesn't it? When you, I, I, it would be easy to get a group up. Hey, we're going to do a little, we're gonna do a little uh, walk in the steps of Jesus. Like, oh, okay. They killed him, you know. They, they tortured him first. You talk about beating. They spit in his face repeatedly, and they beat him, and they tore his clothes off of him. And we are called to follow in his footsteps. That's not what most people are signed up for. They signed up for a supernatural help to do what they want to do. Hey, I want a superhero. I don't want Jesus, right? I want a superhero to help me get what I want go where I want to go and do what I want to do. I want a divine superhero for me. That's what I want. That's what, that's what we really want. He says, no, no, you're going to follow me, and I'm going to, I'm going to empower you to suffer because I suffered. You're going, to, you're going to suffer. See, this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything bad. When he, he committed no sin. When, 
he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. You know how hard that is? Uh, when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges with justice, justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, like spiritual healing, right? For you were straying like sheep, but now, listen, you've returned to the shepherd and bishop, overseer of your souls. That's just beautiful, isn't it? Like who, who is Jesus? So that's the seventh thing. So following, uh, obedience is following in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's review, let's review them. Obedience is, to delegate authorities is obedience to God. Two, obedience is the will of God. Three, obedience silences the criticism of foolish and ignorant people. It's a great way to live in a day when people hate God, right? Number four, obedience is a way to freedom. Number five, obedience is a powerful way to deal with injustice, and we're all looking for ways to deal with injustice. Obedience is something God sees and rewards, and obedience is following in the footsteps of Jesus. I know some of you might be thinking that might be stumbling you, wait a minute, what if an authority asked me to do something wrong? Or, or what if they're evil? And, and you have to understand, we, don't, we that are in authority, those of us that are in authority, you're in authority, you don't have your own authority, all authority is delegated by God. So my responsibility in my leadership would be to help people obey God, not to get them to do what I want for my own good or to harm them. When somebody asks you to sin against God, you obey God rather than man but you still have a spirit of submission and obedience, you obey God. And, you may, and it may come to a time when they say, there's nothing you can do but this, and then we say, we must obey God. And if it means jail or whatever, because we're going to obey God, because that governor or that president or that pastor or that husband or that mom, they only have authority because God gave it to them, and they don't have any right to establish their own law. They, they're supposed to entreat you to, be, to follow God so that you'll have the wisdom and direction and provision and protection that comes from those who live under God-given authority. Obedience is what it looks like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So I, I don't think this is true about you, but I wanted to encourage you. Um, you wouldn't be stubborn or willful, would you? You would be eager to obey, right? We have faith in God and believe that God will even work through unsympathetic or evil authorities. This is what the scriptures say. I, I want to close, but I, I, ha, I feel like I have lived a really blessed life. I wonder about that a lot of times. I pray and I think, why, has, why have I had such a blessed life? And here's why that's an enigma to me. It's because I'm so conscious of my own indwelling sin and who I am really without Christ's help. And I think, how is it that I have had such favor and blessing and I have such joy? Why is that? And I think it's because I'm saved and Jesus covered my sin. But I really believe deeply, and I want to tell you this, that, that I was taught as a boy to honor my mom and dad. And I have tried to do that all my life. I measure my words to honor my mother and dad. It's not hard, but I'm careful about what I say. When I talk with my mom and dad, I think carefully about what I say, how it will, how they'll feel about it, how it will affect them. 
I don't do things that my parents would disagree with, even though I'm not under their direct authority now as an adult that's made my own home. I had this job I told you about, my dad wasn't sure I should take it. I talked to him. I said, Dad, I have a feeling I should take this. I feel like God's leading me to take it. And I know you kind of don't think maybe I should do it, but I want your blessing. And so I went to his house and I said, what would I have to do to have your blessing? I want to have your wisdom, but I do feel like I should take it. And he goes, 10 things right away. It's like he had them and it's written down 10 things. I want you to ask that guy that's trying to hire you these 10 questions. And he, he just ripped, just ripped, like, right, bullet, boom, boom, boom. Ask him this, ask him this, ask him this. I go, so if I ask him those questions, then I have your blessing. He goes, you do. So I asked him those questions and it was very useful. And those same, a number of those same questions I would use in the next five years when I ran that ministry, I used them every time I hired anybody else. And we hired tons of people. And every time we brought somebody on, we would use those same, some of those same questions that my dad just gave me off the sound like it fell off the top of his head. All, I'm just telling you, God, he, he, this is how the Lord works. He, he says, cherish your wife. And then what he'll do is he'll give her ideas he didn't give you, and you'll only understand them if you cherish her. Because that's the way he works. Same with authority. He says, obey your dad. And then he'll give your dad direction for you that you wouldn't normally get if you weren't, if you weren't uh, humble and on, honor your dad. Because this is all throughout the scripture. It's a, it's a principle of the scripture. I want you to have a blessed life, and God wants you to have a blessed life. And even when you live under injustice, God sees your submissive, obedient heart. Don't lose hope when you suffer. Don't indulge in sin. Don't have a spirit of rebellion. Don't have a spirit of resignation. We'll talk more about this next week. I know there are contingencies and difficulties that people face. Understand that? The scriptures also address those. But this overall principle isn't one we should miss. You know why? Because we should know what Pastor James DeVault knew. And that is there's a special favor and blessing and wisdom and direction and protection and provision that flow into the lives of those who, owe, who just are committed to obedience to God through his delegated authorities. And I hope that's been helpful to you. Let's stay.